But here we go into chapter five. And if you're looking for like an encouraging, all right, I was just making you, I was just you know, warming you up so that I could give you the good news. This is how chapter five goes. Here we go, first, first verse. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. This is our brother, St. James, all right? Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last of days. Look, the wages you failed to pay to the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient, brothers and sisters, and until the Lord's coming, See how the farmer waits for the field to yield a valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming in near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and I've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord's full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need is to say simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, Amen. thanks be to God. See, that means like you really love the Bible if you're saying thanks be to God for what you just read. That you're saying, I, I love this even though it's a little scary. I love this word even though I don't fully understand it. I love this word even though it makes me feel really guilty and convicted. Like I, I've been writing these sermons, so I've been living in it for like you know seven to eight hours each week of just like, man, I need to be a better Christian. I mean, better person, James. I mean, like, when you just sit with this text, it's, it's always so fascinating to me. Those, and maybe you might be one of these, who say James is your favorite book. I'm just like, man, you just must be holier than I am. Because <laughs> I read this book, and I'm like, I need to go, like, read some Paul and talk about how love and grace is for everybody because I'm a sinner, but God saved me too, right? James, just the holiness conviction of, like, be a better. Just do better. I feel like if James could be, like, summarized, he'd be like, just do better. Just be holy as God is holy. And so I don't have a whole lot of setup for us this morning. I'm not going to, as far as the, today's sermon goes, I'm not going to give too much away. I just want to say we're going to preach about two types of people. Two types of people that James identifies clearly in these verses we just read. In the verses we read, it says sisters and brothers. In another translation, it says beloved. And so I would like to preach this morning about the rich and the beloved. We pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. amen. Have you ever heard of Thomas More, Sir Thomas More or Saint Thomas More? He's the main character in the play, um, A Man for All Seasons. He's also a historical figure. 
He lived between 1478 and 1535. He was the Lord Chancellor to King Henry VIII. Um, Lord Chancellor basically means like right-hand man, chief advisor, the guy who's like giving him religious counsel. He was a clergy person. He was a priest. He was a Catholic priest. And he was one of the people who helped King Henry VIII write a book in, about the sacraments for which the Pope then named King Henry the defender of the faith, which is ironic if you know the rest of the story, right? Because not long after that, Henry's relationship with the Pope and subsequently with Thomas More um, began to be on the outs when he realized, King Henry realized that his, his wife was not able to produce a male heir and that was what was most important to him. And so he decided he wanted to have the marriage annulled. He wanted to have a divorce. And the church would not allow it. It was not part of the ways in which the Catholic Church would bless marriage vows or cancel them um, without specific circumstantial reasons. So the Pope is visited by King Henry. He says, I should have this marriage annulled and here are the reasons why. But the Pope was also supported by the Spanish monarchy who just happened to be the family into which King Henry married. And so the Pope refused to annul the marriage. And so King Henry decided, you know what? This marriage was a sham to begin with. It's not right. It's keeping me in sin. What I should do is just start my own religion. Um, I should just become the head of the church. The Pope, obviously, is out of touch with reality. So King Henry decides, I'm gonna start my own church, and I'm gonna be, the King of England will be the head of this church. And when he does this, all of his other advisors, you know, they praise him, like, this is a great idea. Yes, you were living in sin because of this. This marriage is not right. The church doesn't recognize what is right. Obviously, the church has lost touch. You do what you think is best, King. We support you. The people around him told him how wise he was how prudent this should be to do this, except for one. Only one person did not give their strong blessing, and that was Sir Thomas More. He didn't start some outrage campaign to talk about how terrible the king was. He just kept to himself. He didn't openly come out in favor of the king's decision to separate from the Catholic Church and to divorce his wife. And because of that, people put pressure on him. They wanted him to give his blessing. Because he was a man of very high integrity. His words carried weight. His writings were read by many people. He was influential because of his integrity. He was influential because of his genuineness. And so the king thought it was really important that Thomas More bless this marriage, or this this move away from marriage and to bless his new marriage. But he wouldn't do it. And so after the king was not able to persuade him, he sent others to try to persuade him and it didn't work. He then sent others to try to intimidate him and it didn't work. He put him in jail. He separated him from his family. They put on a mockery of a trial that resulted in him being found guilty of treason and they executed him. The end of the play is the end of his life. It's a beautiful book, A Man for All Seasons. I encourage you to read it. But all that Thomas had to do to spare his own life was to just come out in support of something that even if he didn't believe in, he could just say he did and then recant later. But he wouldn't do it. Not only would he not be executed, he could have had wealth, power, 
influence, land, big houses, houses on the coast, houses in the mountains. He could have done whatever he wanted. If all he did was just say, I give you my blessing. I agree, I support you. And then afterwards, he could go on his merry way. But he wouldn't do it. More... um, He was surrounded by people that wanted to make themselves feel better by coming to somebody who they knew was holy and getting his blessing for something they knew was not. And I tell you this story because these two characters, King Henry and Thomas More, are the perfect juxtaposition, the illustrations that really help us understand what James is doing in this fifth chapter. The beginning of this fifth chapter is two parts. We just read two parts. There is James talking to the rich, And then there is James talking to the beloved. He says to the rich, I mean, he is not holding back. The most emotionally charged language I think that he has. He says, now listen, you rich people. You will weep and wail because of the misery that's coming to you. Like you're about to get it because you're bad people. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. I mean, if that doesn't get your attention, if you are a a person of means who's listening to this being read or who's there reading the letter yourself and you're not a little bit at least alarmed. I don't know. I mean, he just keeps on going. He says, your gold and silver corroded and then the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Like this is in the Bible. God's word. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. If you hadn't gotten by reading this book by now, James has no time for fakers, for posers, for haters. He doesn't pity fools. He doesn't put up with clowns. James calls our religions worthless if it's not helping the vulnerable. He has condemned people for not helping others. He doesn't suffer the self-indulgent at all. And so it's no surprise in this, his final hurrah, that he's just giving rich people the what for. He's just saying, there's no mercy in my tone for you. I have no time for your shenanigans. He said, you've sowed your fields and your crops are coming due and you will reap what you have sown. It is this brutal litany. And then it's like he takes a breath and turns. You can almost hear it when you read the text, right? When you, when you go from verse 7, 8 into the second part, whenever you go from verse 6 into verse 7, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. And then it's like, <gasps> and he turns and he says, but be patient, beloved. He's not talking to the rich people whenever he's saying be patient. He's literally addressing somebody else. It's like he's saying, you rich people, I'm not just saying, y'all aren't the rich people, I'm not just saying like, this crowd's terrible, y'all are great. I'm just, for visuals. You rich people, you're terrible. And those of you who have suffered, be patient. I mean, his tone completely changes, does it not? The, The way in which we hear the rest of it, it doesn't seem the same. Be patient then, the Lord is coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is coming near. It's like he knows there are two different types of people who will hear this 
letter being read or who will read it themselves one day. There are two different people in the early Christian and Jewish communities. There are those of wealth and privilege and then there's everybody else. There are those who have a life filled with ease and a head start and then there are those who have nothing except the hope that God provides to lean and rest on patience. And so he says to those, do not lose heart. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James looks at the rich person and says, woe is you, woe unto you. And to the beloved, he says, the Lord is coming. The Lord will provide. And so in my mind, to be fair to James and the most logical way to end this series is the same way we have traveled through each of these texts and is to ask the question, who am I? In light of what James is saying, in light of what the reality is that is written in the Bible that we believe in, that is very clear in these statements that there are some ways in which James wants us to live and ways in which he does not, who am I? Am I the rich or am I the beloved? And before you answer that question in, in your own mind, remember the story of Thomas More. Thomas had an opportunity to have everything, could be the champion of either side, the king's side or the Catholic side because the Catholics wanted to bless him and give him money, but he wouldn't take it because he thought it would look like treason against the king. He just remained, he said, I'm not gonna bless this marriage. I'm not gonna speak out against my king. And so for conscience sake, he did not choose to be celebrated by anybody. He stuck to his belief in the Lord's will and into his integrity. And for it, he was killed. Just because a person is in the will of God doesn't mean everything's gonna be rainbows and butterflies. As hard as that is for me to say, I, I know that there are plenty of sermons you can hear where people will tell you, as long as you do the Lord's will, you will get a new Lamborghini. You will get whatever it is. I don't read that in the Bible. The Lord will come to those who are patient, but that doesn't mean that everything's gonna be easy. Just because we help the, those who are vulnerable or we tame our tongue when we're slow to anger, when we're quick, quick to listen, all the things we've talked about for the past six weeks, if we embody who James wants us to be, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden life is gonna be just golden streets for us to walk down. If we were objectively looking at the life of King Henry VIII and the life of Thomas More based on our standards for which most of us live our own lives. King Henry had the better life. Obviously, he was more hashtag blessed because he had more money, right? We work to have more money. He was the one that was deemed as important because he had titles and land and he had a bigger family and he had more fame and he had notoriety and influence. All these things are things we seek after every day. And if you don't, I need to hang around you more because I do. I'm human, my human tendency is to want to advance my own will, my own self, to accumulate more things, money, nicer furniture, a better school for my kids, whatever it might be, these things take time and energy and resources and so we put our efforts into doing these things that we think will make us happy or that will make us feel fulfilled. King Henry had all the things we want. We wanna mirror King Henry. But James is saying, no, you don't. Misery is waiting if that's the way you live your life. 
He says, be patient, for the Lord will provide. And that provision might not always make sense because Thomas died with no money, no fame. He died as a death row inmate. And how do we all think of death row inmates? If you were to ask James, though, which of these was the rich and which was, these, was the beloved, I think we probably know his answer. So I ask not only which one of these are you, but which one do you want to be? Do you really want to live a life that is gonna be full of sacrifice, that makes you look worse in the eyes of your coworkers because you don't want wealth, because you're not out for your own fame? Is that the life you want to live? I feel like oftentimes I come to church before as a pastor and even still now sometimes too because I know I'm a sinner and I feel like as long as I'm here, I'll feel better. So I can keep doing other things and feel bad about it. I can come to church once a week, ask for forgiveness, and then I'm good. But that is not at all who James calls us to be. James is as brutally honest as it gets, strips us bare of everything and makes us look inward and ask, who are you? And who do you want to be? And so I pray that even in those times where the difficulties lie, we choose to be the beloved. We try to be the people who are quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. I pray that we try to be the people who are seen by the actions of our faith and not just our nice sounding beliefs. I pray that we can be the people who mirror Christ and not the world. We will be free of our need to judge others and we will live a life resting in the will of God. It will be hard. There will be questions and pain. But if you offer me a life full of love for my sisters and my brothers, my family, or a life lived for myself, I hope I always choose the life lived for love. And I pray you do too. With that, we come to the end of our series on James and let us pray together. God, we give you thanks for the words that you've given to us and the convictions you lay on our hearts. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Forgive us, we ask for the times we have failed to be an obedient church, when we have not done your will, when we have broken your law, when we have rebelled against your love, when we have not heard the cry of the needy, free us, we pray, for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, now and forever. Amen.